Googs house. All right. Nearly seven minutes into the basketball game against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, the Houston Cougars found themselves down 10 to 9. Safe to say that the game went a little bit different after that. Let's get to it. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angels. Hit a breakdown all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to stop by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That way you get the latest on the Cougs in your news feed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. That's where you found us. Uh, we are at 570 subscribers. Remember, at 750, we're giving away something every 250. So when we get to 750 subscribers, we're going to be giving away one of those Galen Robinson-designed uh, uh, Letterman jackets. So make sure you subscribe and hit uh, like, thumbs up, etc. Make sure you comment on the video so we know who to give one to. Uh, if you cannot think of something to say in uh, the Tulsa game and discussion of the Tulsa game. Tell us if you like the salsa inside your burrito or on top of it. Now, in today's breakdown, um, you know, Houston does win 80 to 42. After the, the open where we talk about Houston being down for nearly seven minutes of basketball, I feel like we need to clarify Houston ends up winning in a big, big way. Um, so we're going to break down some of the X's and O's stuff here in a little bit longer first segment. Second segment, look at some of the post-game stuff uh, that we heard from Kelvin Sampson in the post-game afterwards. And then the third segment, I've got an idea for how Houston can be even more dynamic offensively. But first, let's get into the X's and O's stuff. The three key points to take away from this one are that offensively, Houston really was able to get to whatever they wanted. They were able to get the ball across the court. Uh, they were to orchestrate and move around off of getting the ball into the post and get good cuts off of it that actually took the defense and sucked the defense down towards the basket opening up more of a kickout kind of action the doubling of the post from uh, Tulsa did not seem to bother Houston a whole whole heck of a lot and on the whole like I said Houston was able to get to whatever they wanted um Houston had 21 assists for their 31 made baskets again that's pretty strong right? that's pretty pretty strong considering that in their losses the ratio is very much the other direction uh, i would also point out that after the that 14 uh, 42 tv timeout uh, it was the under 16 tv timeout but it came out just under 15 minutes houston went on to outscore <laughs> uh, it was really close to the seven minute mark by the time that someone actually scored but houston went on to outscore tulsa 71 to 32 in just over 30 minutes of basketball um that's a key point in on itself. That's a crazy, crazy t- statistic to go for 30 minutes of basketball. And I have to say that, you know, there's a world where Houston opens up the game like they played the next, you know, 33 minutes and wins this game 100 to 12 or something, right? Um, Tulsa, to be fair, did not shoot the ball particularly well in the season. They typically shoot the ball 33% from three, 50% from two, and average 68.9 points per game. In the Houston game on uh, Wednesday night, they shot... 13.8% from three, 27.8% from the field, and scored just 42 points. Now, Kelvin Sampson would say in the post game, we'll get to that stuff later, but he would argue that was about missing shots. I would argue that's also got something to do with the Houston defense. And frankly, good defense on three or four possessions lead to that fifth possession being a little bit of a rush shot, a word shot, a hurried shot. And those are all bad things to be feeling while you're uh, shooting basketball. 
As far as scoring, as far as scoring key notes go, uh, Marcus Sasser had 25 points, 18 in the first half. Just shot the ball 17 times. Really efficient 25 for him. Again, didn't get any free throws. And so when you think about that, that's, that's a pretty crazy statistic. A couple free throws on those drives. He might have been up closer to 30. Um, however, he did shoot 5 of 10 from the three-point line. Um, Emmanuel Sharp had 13 points. It was 4 of 9 from the field. He did get the free throw line for a pair of free throws. Um, you know, never seen the shot he doesn't like, and he's a pretty good shooter, so I don't mind it either. Um, the crazy thing about this game is that after – Sasser and Sharp, no other Cougar broke double figures. Uh, Tremon, Tremon Mark had nine points. Uh, you had Jawan, uh, uh, Jawan Roberts had six points. Jarris Walker had six points. Um, Jamal Shedd had just three points. Javier Francis had six points. It, it just very, very evenly spread out. Ryan Elvin had five points, right? Um, and frankly, when I talk about the Houston Cougars being able to do whatever they want to on offense, it was because outside of Sasser just going off at one point in the first half, that like lat- latter 10 minutes of the first half, what would be the second quarter of a four-quarter game, um, it was really just whoever had the open shot hit it. That was how it went. There was no it was no selfishness, a very selfless basketball game as a whole. Again, 21 assists on 31 made shots. That kind of a basketball game. Um, I would be remiss to not point out that Jamal Shedd had 12 assists in this game. He did just have three points. But he nearly had a double-double with 12 assists and 7 rebounds. Um, and honestly, there was one point in the second half where he he was in the game because Terrence Austin was rolls his ankle. And I was kind of rooting for the under 10-point double-double. Uh, the rebound and assist double-double would have been a crazy thing to see in a 40-minute college basketball game. We almost got it. I think he's plenty capable of it. Um, but man, oh man, what a performance dishing the ball out for him. 12 assists and two turnovers that's a six to one ratio and as i think this in the broadcast like you have to have a two to one ratio to be a division one point guard you really want a three to one uh, ratio to be a starting point guard four to one ratio is like one of the best in the country six to one on the game that's nuts um rebounding the basketball nine houston cougars got at least one rebound 10 uh, just kidding, 11 played. Um, there were 16 offensive rebounds and 36 missed shots. That's pretty good ratio. I'll leave it to my math guys to figure out exactly how you calculate that. But that's pretty good of 36 missed shots. Houston got the ball 16 times after that. Uh, Juwan Roberts led the way with 10 rebounds, four of them were on offense in just 24 minutes. Jairus had eight rebounds of himself uh, to himself and three offensive rebounds, something he's been working on diligently in just 21 minutes. Jermon Mark had nine rebounds, three offensive in 30 minutes. Again, nine different Houston Cougars rebound the basketball. They set a new team high for the season with 53. The previous team high was 52 against the SMU Mustangs. Um, Pretty impressive 53 rebound performance, especially when you factor in like Houston shot the ball pretty well. And so like there weren't a whole lot to be had. Um, At least again, offensively, they rebounded 16 of their uh, their 36. Um, Defensively is I think where the statistics get a little staggering. Um, This was the eighth time in 25 games that they hold an opponent to a season low, not counting the previous Tulsa game because Tulsa's season low was the previous Houston game for them. So this is the second time in a row that Houston has held Tulsa to their season low. Um, The 42 points Tulsa scored was uh, 39.7.17% below their season average. Shout out to Steve P on Twitter for helping me out with the math there. Um, I'm not, I'm a history teacher, not a math teacher. Uh, But I think the thing that we're seeing over and over again is that what 
makes Houston a top seed in the tournament quality team, a top team in the country quality team. What makes them great, not good, is it doesn't really matter what you do offensively, even if you feed a big offensively, and they don't have anyone over 6'8 in the starting lineup, right? Um, what they're going to do is make you go to your third option. Now, your second option, they're going to fi- make you find a third way to score. If you do that, you score some points. And if you don't, you're scoring 20% or worse below your season averages. And that's why, you know, you can point to slow offensive starts and all kinds of things. Um, at the end of the day, defense wins championships. That's not just some old cliche. And holding teams to 20% or worse below their season averages in nearly 20 games of a 25-game sample so far is bananas, right? That's crazy talk to be seeing, especially when other teams in this conference part of the schedule are scouting you and figuring out ways to score on you and things like that. Uh, Interesting Tulsa side note I thought before I move on here. Uh, Without the Houston games, Tulsa would be averaging over 72 points per game, which is nearly four points higher than their season average actually is because they did play Houston twice. <laughs> um, just a crazy defensive outing from Houston. I know, you know, I'm giving them a hard time about being down 10 to 7, 10 to 9 for what was roughly the first quarter of basketball. But truthfully, they gave up about 10 points every 10 minutes. I mean, they came in it at 42. And they went on a crazy offensive run later. Defense turning into offense, obviously, it's part of that, but the defense was even was kind of stout in that first part. They just didn't score the basketball, didn't shoot the basketball particularly well, even though they seemed to get whatever they wanted. They just didn't put the ball in the basket. Now, before we jump into um, looking at our our quotes from Samson in the second segment, I got to talk a little bit about what's coming up this weekend, and that is the Super Bowl. And that means we got to talk about FanDuel. Now, we're really, really excited about our newest uh, sports betting partner here at Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that making betting on sports that are making betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. That means you get up to three thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from money line to spreads uh, to who will score a touchdown and all kinds of props. Now. I've been recommending each and every time I'm plugging FanDuel that so long as Channel View's own Jalen Hurts is projected to only win the Super Bowl by one and a half points, I would take the Eagles. Um, I think that's more or less a pick them, and I'm going to pick the Eagles. Now, if the spread started spreading out, I, I do like Pat Mahomes. I think he keeps it close. Um, but while it's more or less a pick them, I'm going with the Eagles. I also think it's interesting in FanDuel stuff. You can go ahead and start betting on national championships in college basketball, and they've got the Houston Cougars at plus 650, the odds-on favorites to win the national championship. But I have to say, if you're going to go plus 650, you might as well also go with Houston at plus 120 to make the Final Four, because you got to parlay those. If you don't make the Final Four, you can't win at all. right? So I think you got to connect those two things as well if you're on FanDuel.com to do it. FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid for your winnings instantly. Join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. So in the post game, um, 
there were a couple things I thought Samson hit on that need to be hit on here. Um, one, I think that uh, there was a little bit of a, a concern at the end of the game. Terrence Arsenault, uh, in contesting a shot, fell on his ankle funny. Um, they zoomed in. He's wearing the Jordan 37 low. Um, I am a clearly sneaker guy. Um, I don't know much about Jordan 37 low. I do know that there's a giant myth out there about high tops and low tops and ankle support and all of those things. Um, Nike back when they were making the first low top Kobe's did a whole deal about how um, it's really about the cupping of your ankle of your heel, more so secure ankle than the actual like cloth around the top of the shoe um, to protect your ankle at the top of the shoe to actually have to go much higher, which is why there's a handful of like really, really high basketball shoes from around 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, if you want to do more on it, you know, the sneakers, the Houston Cougars are wearing in the basketball court, actually that I, that have a lot of fun doing that comment down below. Tell me if that's something you want to do. Um, anyway, Terrence Arsenal's ankle. sounds like it's just normal roll and sprain. And the best thing for Houston is that he's got time to rest it. Houston then play again until February 16th. Uh, and Kelvin Sampson, the post game, that um, they're going to take Thursday off as well, will likely take Sunday off. They'll practice Friday and Saturday. And it sounded almost like in the intonation of his voice that if those practices go as they should, they would have Sunday off as well. And you know, then spend the rest of the week getting ready for SMU next Thursday. After a crazy last weekend where you play at Wichita State on Thursday night, get back to Houston at the you know wee hours of the morning, more like you know 3 a.m. kind of get back to your room on Friday morning, then get up on Saturday and travel to Philadelphia to play in Philadelphia against Temple on Sunday. And those are two tough places to play. Uh, after that crazy weekend, they have one game this week at home, one game next week just up the road in Dallas. And that really, really works out well for them. Um, and so they're taking some time to rest to, to date. Uh, as Samson said, you know, I, I know the pulse of this team and what they need and what they need right now is rest. And that, that was the overarching theme of talking about Terrence Arson's ankle and what they're going to do at practice and all those kinds of things. That, that's why I'm going on and on. I probably should have opened with that, but they've had 84 practices since the start of the season to date. Um, when you add in two scrimmages and 25 games, that's a lot of hoops on everybody's legs and everyone remembers last season you know knock on wood we don't want anything like that but houston lost several key players including guys that are on this year's team uh with injuries at, over the course of the year and so resting their bodies and the houston does, has done really well this season part of that bluntly is depth right they've got a lot of great basketball players and so they can rest guys in game in a little bit different way than they maybe could have in years past that's you know credit the program samson has built but also <laughs> um why not take Thursday off after that game, after the, you know, however many hours of basketball and traveling and all that in the last week. Um, the other thing I'll say with all of that is taking Sunday off is kind of a typical thing. Um, now with the chaotic schedule of college basketball, some of your biggest games end up being Monday. So it's not always the case. Uh, you don't usually NCAA mandates. You take a you know 24 hour period off. You don't always take that on Sunday in college basketball. So getting that off would be kind of nice to think for the Cougs as well. Um, SMU next week, not that you know you take anyone in conference lightly, but I would point out that SMU was a team that Houston handled in Houston fairly well, not quite as well as they did Tulsa, obviously. Um, but I'd imagine that that's the kind of game where you could hope to get out of it with a lot of starters playing 30 or less minutes, you know, in that 20 range like they did on Wednesday night. But we'll see. Again, don't want to jinx it, but that would be hopeful to have two games like that over the course of two weeks with no other games would be really, really nice. Um, 
I, I mentioned the FanDuel spot, uh, something with the Super Bowl. Um, a quote that Samson had after the game that jumped out to me was when talking about Jamal Shedd and the growth he's had as a point guard. Um, and again, Jamal Shedd was not a crazy, highly touted recruit. I mean, out of Maynard, Texas, and Austin. I, it is in Austin. It's just you know a, a sub a subsect neighborhood of Austin. Um, he was quick to point out that his lessons to Jamal have been about being Tom Brady, not Patrick Mahomes. Right? Hit singles, not homers. Now, I guess Patrick Mahomes probably did play some baseball, but Tom Brady didn't. Um, but I think the metaphor stands because he went on to say, like you know, Patrick Mahomes throws the crazy deep ball, and when it hits, it makes Sports Center. <laughs> And Tom Brady would rather throw the two-yard button hook and watch the guy run for 45 yards afterwards. And sometimes the easier play is the play to make. Jamal Shedd is making a lot more of those kinds of plays as the season's gone on and as he's grown as a point guard. Um, and I wanted to say in several different ways that you want to hit singles and singles win games, right? Um, Jamal Shedd is doing that. He's getting in the paint because he's more athletic or quicker or stronger than most point guards he's going to play, especially when Marcus Sass is going to generally take the best guard defender the other team has. And then he's going to drop it off to Jarrett, or he's going to drop it off to Juwan, or he's going to drop it off to Javier. He's going to kick it out to Sasser. He's going to kick it out to Tremont or whatever the case may be there, right? He's orchestrating the offense in that way. Um, Not going for home run passes, not going for Magic Johnson type passes, not going for all kinds of crazy, crazy um, sports center type plays. He's just going to get his 12 assists and two turnover ratio and call it good. Um, was pleased by that. That was interesting. And frankly, when he said that, that made a lot of sense in watching the growth of Jamal in this season on its own, right? Um, this is a show we talk about a lot about this season. He's grown a lot since last season. Um, but I'm looking just even at this season since like December, where Jamal Shed was kind of getting moved around. You had to give Marcus more uh, point guard dudes and stuff like that. Things have shifted a little bit. Um, the other thing I want to talk about that Kelvin Sampson said, I'm just pulling out a third quote to talk about because I think it'll, A, it's interesting to see his mindset, but B, it also segues this into the third segment, is that Kelvin Sampson said, quote, the record for us is irrelevant. What's relevant is how much better we can get this time of year. Um, and I think what's interesting there is there's a lot of times where you'll hear less progressive coaches talk about like, you got to know who you are by this point, right? Cause you going into March and there's a game that counts and or like February is a lot of conference play and you got to have some sort of an identity. Houston's got an identity. They, they'll cover you from here to Timbuktu and they will work your butt on the glass. And then on offense, they're going to use athleticism and speed and effort to outscore you too. Right. Um, it's not that they don't have an identity, but he's still pushing to get better and find ways to get better and i think that that speaks to the power of this program he's built where while teams in february are trying to find ways to survive he's trying to find ways to thrive he's trying to find ways to push things past the envelope right he's not happy at 23 and 2 he's not happy till april when they're cutting down nets right that's the goal of this whole thing um and so anyway that was that was an interesting quote because i would have thought obviously Tulsa's not in the same class of competition. No knock on them. They're rebuilding the program, et cetera, right? But it would have been easy to rest on your laurels. You're kind of hitting this break. The players literally don't have practice on Thursday. And you're kind of at this point, you're like, okay, you know, like, we're, we're doing pretty well. Like, guys, stuff get better. How we're doing pretty well. And it's not that. He says they're a good team. He says they're good at certain things. But they're looking at things to get better at. I've got one idea of a way they can get better in the third segment. So let's look at one key way I think that they can get better. 
And there was a flash of it in the ball game on Wednesday night. And I think that's in unleashing Jarris Walker in more of a point guard role. Now, in the game, uh, Jarris had a kick-ahead pass, and I believe he hit Sasser. Um, I'll pull up the thing to be sure, but he hits Sasser for what was like a home run type touchdown pass for a layup. Um, and I think that, um, let me make sure I got it right here. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I think it's shed actually. Um, but regardless, um, I think that the, Anyway, the thing I think that's interesting in that is is watching him take the ball off the rim as a rebound and like immediately start the fast break because he is also able to distribute the ball like a point guard. We saw hints of this in uh, the Virginia game, right? In the Virginia game, you saw um, short roll Jarrett Walker, right? Short roll meaning after screen and roll. Uh, with the point guard coming off and pulling off blitz defenders or pulling off double teams or whatever, being able to roll like four five feet away to make that pass really easy and then be a creator from like 18 to 15 feet working passing the ball. You've got a four on three break for like a half second in a lot of ways, right? And so that's the move you see. Um, that's the move you see Jarrett Walker like kind of like projected at at the next level, right? That after that Virginia game where he's able to do that, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, how great could this guy be, right? Um, what I think is interesting is that that's really just a glimpse of what Jarrett Walker can be. Uh, and we saw with that kickhead pass, another glimpse at it. And that is bringing the ball down as not Magic Johnson, LeBron James, 6'9", true point guard, but a guy that can do that in spots, right? A guy that sees the floor well enough and is so selfless as a basketball player that he's going to absorb the defense and kick it to the right guy in those moments in a full court situation, as opposed to that condensed uh, short roll situation. Um, point Jarris is a thing. Uh, if you remember when we talked to Tyler Rucker, uh, a few, I guess it's been almost a month and a half ago at this point, of uh, no ceiling, so I'm about Jarris Walker projecting the NBA. When they go back and watch the IMG tape, that's the moments you really, really see it, right? So like when I pulled up IMG tape, um, worth pointing out, first of all, he started for four years at IMG. They missed a COVID year in a lot of ways. It, it kind of got you know, put into shambles and he missed part of his junior year hurt. Um, but this, the, the IMG thing is obviously like an academy and high level high school basketball played with guys that start at Baylor and Alabama and all across the country. Guys in the NBA now, right? Um, on the young side of the NBA would have been like, seniors when he was a sophomore kind of guys. Um, but a senior at IMG, he averaged 16 points, eight rebounds and four assists. And I think people look at the four assists and like, Oh man, that's not a whole lot. But like when you watch them play, they ran so much ISO ball at IMG because they had such phenomenal athletes that getting four assists is impressive. Um, the games I watched, and I so I watched these before the season started to kind of get myself acquainted with Jarris Walker. I watched actually more than just a couple um, because they're really fun to watch. The IMG team is really good. Um, the two that I, I had to go back and check my memory to make sure I had them right, that really you get to see shots of point Jarris in a lot of ways were IMG versus Sunrise and IMG versus Bishop Walsh. Now, Sunrise at the time was ranked number one team in the country via NIBC, um, which is like a national high school basketball conference, some of the best teams in the country um, that are our academy type teams. Um, but at the end of the day, in spots of each of those games, key plays were made by 
Jarris in the open floor like a point guard. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to run my entire offense through him driven the ball 100 times. It's not quite where I'm putting him at. But I think he's kind of getting close to being able to take the free reign there, take the ball off the rim, and sprint with it. Um, that way you have Jamal Shedd out sprinting ahead of it for the home run. That way you have Sasha and Mark sprinting into the corners in a way that takes the defense out with them. And if Jarris is going down the lane, they've either got to choose to give up the three to Mark and Sasser, Mark, Tremont Mark and Mark and Sasser, not anyway. And then, or they give up a wide open dunk to a 6'8", 240-pound monster, right? Like, I, I don't know how you deal with that. Um, I think it's really interesting to see. I also think that, frankly, um, it's the kind of thing where if you start to unlock that in February and March, I don't, I don't know how teams get ready for it that fast, right? The season's going crazy fast. There's not a whole lot. I mean, that's like preparing to cover Giannis Antetokounmpo in the NBA, right? How do you get in front of the locomotive once it takes off and it's going full speed? Um, I, I think that's where I look at it. And that point, Jarris, I think, also takes the pressure off of some of the other guys in the roster. Um, in the half court, I think I'd still put the ball in Jamal's hands. Again, he's worked crazy hard to get where he is and he's a very very good college point guard and i've said this for several episodes now but i do think there's a world where jamal shed is getting paid to play basketball after his time at u of h i just don't quite know yet what level it's at and that's someone's pay grade higher than mine um but i i think point jarris has, has an opportunity to really shine in this team and there's a moment in uh, the tulsa game where it just kind of popped out and i wrote down on my notes like that needs to happen more often, <laughs> right? Like that taking the ball off the rim first working to get the rebound. He had a great rebounding night for himself and then pushing the break on his own opens up a lot. Right. And that was kind of where I think things need to go. Now there's a, not a whole lot else to take away from this Tulsa game outside of the fact that like Houston dominated a team. They should dominate. There were other big upsets on Wednesday night. Uh, Vanderbilt beat Tennessee. That's a top five upset, right? Um, you're looking across the board at a couple other, you know, teams falling down. At the end of the day, Houston is winning. Houston is beating teams not in their playing field or not quite at the level of their program like they're supposed to, right? Um, <laughs> be fair to Tulsa, I guess. On the road up at Tulsa, it was a 39-point win for Houston. At home, it's a 38-point win. So maybe Tulsa's getting a little bit better when you look at things like that. But on the whole, when you look across the board, and you see, like, um, you know, West Virginia knocking off Iowa State, right? Um, I I wish we'd see Oklahoma knock off Baylor, but I guess Baylor pulled that out. Just double checking right now. Um, you're seeing these moments where like other teams in the top ten are kind of faltering, and Houston seems to be exceeding expectations, right? Um, really, really fun thing to watch. If you want to talk about it with me all weekend long, right? The Cougs are off this weekend. We got plenty to talk about a lockdown Cougs. You can find me at Painsworth five one two P A I N S W O R T H five one two on Twitter, Instagram, and all your social media handles. I'll be happy to talk all things Cougs. Um, the Rockets lost a tough one. I had that on right before I started hitting record. I had that on while I was like pulling my stats together and right before I hit record. That's a tough one to lose. I can talk about that stuff as well. Um, Astro is still, you know, World Series glory. Texans hiring Demico Ryan. It's a great hire. Um, all things Houston sports, sneakers as well, whatever you can talk about. You can find me at Painsworth512. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Lockdown Cougs today. If you're looking for a second listen today, I'm going to recommend Locked on College Basketball because I went back and forth with Isaac. Uh, Isaac Shade and Andy Patton host that podcast. And I told Isaac to include Marcus Hester's performance on Wednesday night in the episode. So go check it out and see if it made it in. It is a kook-friendly podcast. I just don't know if it makes it in with all the other giant storylines happening in college basketball. It's a daily national show, so make sure you go check that out. 
Locked On Cougs, proud member of the Locked On Podcast Network. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Locked On Cougs, number one, uh, number two team in the nation right now. Go Cougs. <laughs>